and welcome back to episode 13 of Pinstripe Pulse. Baseball is here. We're early on in spring training. New guys, new rules, new ideas. Welcome back to Pinstripe Pulse. This is episode 13. I am joined, as per usual, by Jake. Jake, how's it going, man? Not too shabby. We got a, what, Saturday morning right now? It feels kind of like a Sunday because it's nice and gloomy, but um, not in Florida, though, because they're playing some baseball today. Um, I think we're all kind of excited at this point to be getting full into swing of uh, the actual season at this point. It is kind of painful watching some of these games and seeing how nice and sunny the weather is here. Whereas in New York, we're kind of in that in-between of we didn't we didn't get any snow really uh, over the winter. So there was no prettiness. It was just kind of gloomy, cold rain throughout the throughout the winter. But we're getting into the season soon. Yeah, I think we had like one four hour flurry um, earlier this week on Tuesday. And I actually went to MLB Network with uh, our buddy Alex Katz. And we were talking about how like empty the roads were just because I think a lot of people were projecting it to be a lot worse than it was um so it worked out great for us because there was zero traffic on the way there and back but at the same time it's like you kind of i think that the fact that we miss you know it's already mid like now it's march but we miss um the entire like thick of winter without having any serious snow is a good sign for us and also maybe a bad sign but <laughs> well well bad sign maybe long term but though yeah that's not for this podcast anyway. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, so as a quick update, friend of the pod, Alex Katz, um, congratulations to him. If you follow us on socials, he officially made the Israel World Baseball Classic team uh, a few weeks ago. That was announced, um, and we just never updated on the podcast. But he'll be going uh, – is he in Miami? Is he in the Miami pool? He's in Miami right now. He's actually working out at Eric Cressy's as we speak um so he'll be there for a little bit and then they get ready for pool play nice and he was interviewed by mlb network and, and jake tagged along with him on tuesday to talk about stadium custom kicks like we spoke about with him as well as his um his call up to the wbc roster so what was that experience like for you jake overall not just getting there in the snow <laughs> dude it was awesome i mean that studio if anyone's ever been there before it's huge um I mean, it's just like a massive warehouse, essentially, with baseball shit everywhere. <laughs> so um, they have a Hall of Fame wall with all the Hall of Fame names, actually, uh, right when you walk in, which is really cool. And then we ended up going over to one of the studios where Harold Ram Reynolds and all those guys were uh, doing their morning show. And um, Katz had the 945 time slot. So he went on for about 15 minutes, nice 15 minute long segment, talked about the shoes, talked about the, you know, WBC uh, what his free agency is looking like. It was a great time, uh, very straightforward. And then we hit some nukes in the uh, Studio 42. So that was really cool. You lived out my 10-year-old dream. When, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I was about 10 or 11 when MLB Network first was created in like, I think it was 09 or, or 2010. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that seemed really cool. So very jealous but that's i awesome. whipped the first three seasons. It, was, it was really <laughs> rough <laughs> went from seeing cats throwing 90 to him throwing like 40 miles an hour <laughs> if that yeah. it's uh 
it's always so funny. Uh, sometimes I watch like the John Boy Media Blitzball videos and stuff, and they have uh, and same thing with other wiffle ball blitzball creators across the YouTube circle. Um, but whenever they have pro guys come in, it's so funny to see like the amateur guys like you know ramping it up and they barely scrape the speed limit and then like uh john boy had jerry blevins come in and jerry could like was struggling to get a below 85 and he had to get a below 70 <laughs> <laughs> like slowing his arm down to the fullest extent possible yeah so especially jerry with that natural big tall lefty whip like it's hard oh to throw anything below 80 probably He's as whippy as it gets. It would nice problem to have. I wish I had it. <laughs> we would be in a very different situation right now if that was the case. Exactly. I've got like 69 with whip right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, going from going from the network to the league. Um, we have a lot to cover. That's been going crazy on Twitter. We have a lot of Yankees talk. Um, but first I want to get into the new baseball rule changes. Um, so if you're unfamiliar or you haven't been watching games, um, MLB has uh, the players and the league have agreed to a bunch of new rule changes for this year um, with the idea to enhance the pace of play, to enhance offense, and it basically better the viewing experience for those live and those on TV. Um, and the first one of those, which I think we've seen the biggest uh the most talk about overall is the pitch clock um, and that pitch clock being when there's no one on base, the pitcher has to deliver a pitch within 15 seconds and the hitter has to be in the box with their head up and engaged, which we can talk about that rule with eight seconds left in the count. And then when there are runners on base, it goes up to 20 seconds for the pitcher. And we've seen there's been a dramatic shift so far. Uh, Jake, what have your impressions been of watching these uh quicker paced games with this pitch clock i think we have to keep in mind like this is a preliminary kind of test run for it um there's no guarantee that this is what the numbers are going to look like um seconds wise you know for the rest of the season i think there's going to be plenty of trial and error um but we've been seeing guys like quickly have to get acclimated to it just how many outs have been called um just on the pitch clock alone at this point um I think so that many. The I mean, we are... had a game end, which it was so spring training. We had a game end in a tie because a hitter wasn't engaged. He he wasn't looking up after the eight seconds, so he got rung up on strikes with the bases loaded. I think it was Red Sox Braves. Um, yeah, and the game ended in a tie because you don't play extras in exhibition games. That would be that would be crazy. I, I'm not mad about the tie, nor am I mad about really the game ending. Um, but yeah, we've had a, a good few, like at least four to five every day we see highlights of at, at the very least. Yeah. And I think the pitchers have the innate advantage at this point, just because a, the pitchers already start ramping up earlier than the hitters do in terms of getting to spring training early, all that. So their velos pretty much closer to where it would be, uh, towards opening day. But on top of that, um, it, I feel like most pitchers in general, like operate better when they're pitching at a tempo um you see a guy get in a groove he's getting right back to the mound in the first place so we've seen that in particular with wandy peralta with the yankees um he gets right back to the mound i think he threw what was it three pitches in 10 seconds or something like it was something crazy he's, where he, he struck, struck out, out a hitter in 20 seconds yes there we go um so i think that it kind of eliminates the whole thinking part of pitching which is a really cool aspect because a lot of guys falter the most mentally rather than physically um, so I think that will kind of eliminate certain uh, 
misnomers in terms of people struggling, you know, with just overthinking. But at the same time, it's going to be quite the the process, just trying to get everyone's feet wet with it to the point where like batters in particular are going to need to like recognize like I need to be ready to go um before this pitch is even thrown like i there's no you have to make sure you're ready to make adjustments on the fly without overthinking it essentially yeah i have really liked this rule change um and i know there's been a bunch of calls that people are like oh my god it was so marginal um that like ruins the flow of the game i i would hope and i would assume that we're at the point now where in the games where it doesn't matter, we're having umpires be like letter of the law enforcing a to a T. So that way people over adjust. So like batters, like you shouldn't come MLB playoff games. You don't want a batter being on the line of eight seconds, nine seconds um, in a playoff game. I, I think once we get to a late stage playoff game, like, you know, we see it in the NFL even with the play clock. Like sometimes you see that double zeros and the center mm-hmm. still has the ball and the quarterback is clapping and they don't throw a flag. Um, and, and I think there's there's merit to that. But right now they're really enforcing it because they want pitchers and batters both to over adjust. So be ready like one or two seconds before the threshold. That way we improve the pace. So if you're ready at 8.2 seconds as a batter or if you throw the pitch um, we saw a call where I forget what pitcher it was, but their leg wasn't down. Was it a Karen check uh, of the yeah. Guardians? Yeah, yeah I think so that's he was, was. He was in his windup, but his front leg hadn't come down at the 15 second mark or the 20 second mark. I forget that there was a runner on. Um, and he was called a ball for it. Um, I don't think we'll see that even in the regular season at all. Maybe here and there, maybe early in the count, nobody on base, that kind of thing just to ingrain it into these guys. But right now I like to see strict enforcement because when we have the strict enforcement, when we're able to bend the rules, the pace will still be really quick. Um, And and as someone who goes to a lot of games, it's a big difference between the average game last year was about three hours and five minutes. um, And Yankees games tend to skew a little bit longer because of the nature of their pitching changes. Boone likes to, uh, change pitchers in the middle of innings as opposed to in between innings. So Yankees games averaged about 315 to 320 last year. Um, so as someone, you talk about a 7-10 first pitch, the end of the game, you're budgeting yourself in for 10-30 ending every game. And then commuting home, going midweek with families. You know, now you, Right now the average is 245, just about that in spring training so far, which is huge. That means you're ending games before... 10 o'clock on, on a 7-10 start, which I, I yeah. think will be really good for the game. It's also giving a lot of action. Um, and it's it's looked good so far. I think it will change the way that the game is played a little bit. Uh, I was always, like you said, I was always confused why pitchers were complaining about, oh, all these rules are helping the offense. Because if you've ever played wiffle ball or like stick ball growing up, if, you know, if you had a smart pitcher or like, um, know a dad who was throwing getting the ball back getting right on the mound trying to quick pitch you that was always advantage pitcher yeah as a hitter i know that something that i try to do in amateur baseball granted is always dictate the pace and i have my routine i stay in the box i make it quick but i put my hand up i'm getting ready i don't have my head up so the umpire is telling the pitcher to call time and you know, as a hitter, you're not controlling a lot of variables, and that's something that you could do in the past, and now you can't do that. 
So yes. I think this will be advantage pitcher, which I'd like to see, you know, Wandy, you know, being on the rubber, catching the ball, calling the pitch himself and throwing it in four seconds uh, was really fun. And I hope we That's see awesome. it from Wandy, from Canely. Yeah. Um, someone who I'm concerned about is Loisica, who has barely thrown um, so far. And with the new rules, and he is, he's known for being really long on the mound, and now he's going to play for Team Nicaragua. I, I hope they have a quick exit, which they probably will, so he can get back to spring. <laughs> but... um. And they're not using those rules in the World Baseball Classic, so I'm hoping that he'll be able to uh, solidify his routine if he hasn't been working on that already. Yeah, absolutely. And on the flip side, um, I think this gives batters an opportunity to actually focus more on bat to ball rather than striking out like crazy. Yeah. Um, and they don't have as much time to think about launch angle and things like that, so it should benefit both sides. Ultimately, I personally love it. You love it. Um. I think that the old school baseball lifers might have an issue adjusting to it, but at the end of the day, they have to see it as not the MLB trying to appeal specifically to them, but rather bringing in a, a new crowd of audience, um, a younger demographic that has more, you know, short attention spans, um, are used to explosive plays in basketball, NFL, NBA, etc. It's a weird bell curve with this kind of rule because um, in in baseball and in politics and everything, you can always kind of tell if you have an understanding of of the realm that you're in with a new rule, with a new law, right? Who's going to like it? Who's going to dislike it? What's the culture war going to be? That kind of thing. So there's like types of baseball fans you usually think about. With this kind of rule, it's really interesting because the really old school baseball fans are used to a brand of baseball that was very fast, two hour, 15 minutes, early in the count contact, you know, making the infielders work that fast, like the turf of the seventies, like that fast paced ball getting through. Um, and then there's that area in between where baseball went to more home run, went to steroid era. Um, and now recently it's been kind of the worst of both worlds where there's been, um, you know, these super technically gifted fielders and hitters who are relying on home run balls because of all these rules um, there was the artificial, uh, the live balls, um, where there were just home runs being hit willy nilly. And then we went back to dead ball last year was not a, a dead ball year, but the ball was definitely reduced. Offense was down overall to the last 20 years of baseball. Um, so it's really interesting. I think a lot of the pushback is people who are generally resistant to change and who are mm -hmm. always going to be, um, up in arms about stuff. But I think if you yeah. go back, I think like. Kids our age and our grandpas are probably most in lockstep about any baseball rule change, um, <laughs> as we, as we've seen in a while. Because I think, um, they're gonna see a game that they grew up watching and liking. And um, you know, as a young fan, I know sometimes you can hear, uh, you can hear an older fan seeming like they're yelling off their front porch talking about how their game was better. If you go back and watch like World Series games or playoff games from like the '60s and '70s. You're not going to see as good of an athlete, you know. You're you're not seeing big home runs, but it is a really entertaining product. The ball constantly being in play is something that we're just not used to. I think last year it was about one ball in play every four minutes or so. Um, yeah, which that's a lot of break in action. You know, that is you know, people uh, rag on football for having you know a quick five second play, ten second play, and then a, a forty five second break. 
um, they're doing four plays every four minutes. Baseball is doing one in play. And yeah, foul balls and the strategy to go in between that if you're a real diehard fan. But you can't just cater um, a professional league at a big scale for only the diehard fan. You have to cater to the young kids, the different attention yeah. spans, the different time that families can take. So I'm all for this pitch clock rule and the enhanced pace of play. Yep, and I think that that also ties in directly with the bigger plates. The uh, bigger bases is uh, certainly speeding up the running game a lot, and which is awesome because, I mean, we got to see Anthony Volpe steal two bases back-to-back within 15 seconds of each other, um, pitch after pitch. And I think that's really kind of letting these younger players that are coming through the systems now shine because uh, they're actually able to showcase the tools that they have naturally. So that's a, that's a nice little change of pace as well. Um, I think the one that is going to get very <laughs> seedy is the uh, throwovers. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's the one where I'm a little bit more iffy on in general. That and also the uh, runner on second, the ghost runner um, for extra innings. That one's still like, I don't like it, but I understand why they're doing it. But with the uh, the limited throwovers, I think that's going to really change the strategy of the game. Yeah, that is something that our um, that our Sandlot team had a, not an argument, but a conversation about in our WhatsApp chat. Um, and I think there's merit to that because as someone who runs uh, runs the bases a lot, um, I like when I first heard the rule, I'm like, that's great. We're going to see a bunch of stolen <laughs> bases. Yeah. So basically the rule for those who are unfamiliar is that pitchers are only allowed to disengage from the rubber three times within one at bat. So, or is, does that reset if the bases are taken? Uh, no, I don't think so. Gotcha. All right. So basically to prevent guys just stepping off and wiping their sweat and throwing over four times, um, you get one throw over. If it's unsuccessful, if all the runners are safe, you get the ball back. You get a second throw over unsuccessful you get the ball back now at that point on your third attempt if you were to step off the rubber you would have to pick off the runner otherwise on the third attempt they would get a free base it's like a box it's like a box yeah so the third time that you step off and you don't pick off someone so basically that third time um it would have to be a runner with like a massive lead that knows that you can't throw over and (laughs) or that it's unlikely to throw over and they'd have to be like halfway between first and second yeah so yeah uh what we're gonna see i think is very um one we're i think we're gonna have a lot of guys running early like first pitch because you have to be very selective because if you burn your your throw over before you throw the first pitch of an at-bat now you're looking at someone who might just milk um milk an at-bat and take pitches so that way someone like anthony volpe Someone, um, you know, someone like Byron Buxton, they have like a much higher chance of taking that base because there's fewer opportunities to neutralize their speed. Yeah, uh, we're not going to see the fake moves anymore, where you like, no, the lefty just like lobs it over. You know, the John Lester non-existent uh, pickoff move, that kind of thing. So, I don't love it right now. Um, but I do like it as someone who wants to see a lot of stolen bases. I like it as someone who knows this Yankees roster and thinks that that will help us ultimately, um, especially yeah. given how prolific Trevino can be with backpicking um, and Higgy. 
I think that's going to be a new added element for these catchers that can like throw 90 miles an hour from their knees. Um, mm -hmm. where if guys get too ambitious on their secondaries, they're going to, um, on their secondary leads to clarify, they might be taken advantage of. Uh, but I understand it being very strict. Like I understand pitchers are in a really tough spot to hold runners on. And another thing that it changes, yep, it also changes um, the outlook of how to stall time when you're looking for a pitcher warming up in the bullpen. Yeah, it's like something I just kind of thought about right now because you mm -hmm. see a lot of guys just throwing over at like if let's say it's a relief pitcher who's struggling, he's just throwing over to first base to allow time for whichever reliever's coming in next to get his reps in in the bullpen. Um, so this is something that also will drastically alter like the way that teams approach how they're going to go about delegating their bullpen moves yeah there's no getting a guy warm and getting him in for the next hitter anymore because yeah. we we would see that it would be obvious as day like you'd look in the bullpen and you know johnny luizka or wandy peralta would be like sprinting to get ready and throwing pitch 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 and then you know like clay holmes in a pickle would be you know taking off his hat wiping the sweat trevino would call uh you know a pick off the first the lob over um and what I like about that is when it comes to the relief pitcher game, one, like these relievers have such an advantage, like they're dominant pitchers. We see so many of them that, that can get two, three outs, um, a different look that you haven't seen in the game before they throw so fast. I think it neutralizes some of their specialty. Mm -hmm. And I think we might see some more reliance on the starting pitcher, maybe down the line. We'll see where, where the data kind of gets us with these new rules. But also, I think sometimes we find the end of the game like drags on. Um, mm -hmm. We've gone to games where it's been an hour and five minutes through six innings and then a two-hour last three innings because the eighth and the ninth get tight and you have these mound visits. You have um, bringing relievers in and even though they have the timeout limit and the substitution limit, it's like no one really threatens um, yeah. getting to the end of those and it still prolongs the game. So that that could be an advantage. I, I do think we're going to see a lot of stolen bases this year. I think Byron Buxton, if he stays healthy. Dude, 40 Corbin Carroll's Corbin Carroll's going to steal 80 bases. <laughs> yeah. Like straight up. I mean, Anthony Volpe had about 50 stolen bases in He had 50 literally leagues. last year, yeah. Uh, under the same rule. So if you're going to look at some of these young guys who have experience in AAA and AA, where these rules have been implemented, these bigger bases, the um, the pitcher rubber disengagement rules, and they might have an advantage over over some of these season pros. Oh, absolutely! They've done it before, so like this is going to be completely brand new to guys. I mean, I a good Hall of Fame caliber pitcher who's in year fifteen is going to figure it out, but someone who's been in the league long enough, like they're going to have a little bit of an adjustment period. So I would expect the young guys to kind of thrive right off the bat. Yeah, and going into the next rule, which I think is going to um, impact more of the seasoned veterans more, uh, the shift rules. So again, for those who haven't seen, um, there has been a quote-unquote banning of the the stereotypical shift that we've seen in recent years. So what that rule does is that two infielders are required exactly two on each side of second base, and they had both... Um, both feet have to be on the infield dirt when the pitch mm -hmm. is delivered. So that prevents the what well, we've seen the third baseman going to short right field and having, you know, the shortstop second baseman play over there. That prevents um 
stacking the infielders on one side if there's like a runner on third for a hitter that can only hit on on the ground one way um and there was no modifications to the outfield rules right or does it have to no. be three outfielders in the grass or has to be four um, infielders on the dirt right i think it's four infielders on the dirt so you can't have four outfielders I'm pretty sure you can't, but I've seen new shifts where like they'll just completely disregard left field altogether. So yeah, I was gonna bring that up. I wrote it down. Um, the Joey Gallo shift, where <laughs> um, Joey Gallo we saw as Yankees fans. Um, not only can he not hit the ball on the ground to the left side, but he can't hit it in the air to the left side. Uh, which is I think is unique to Joey Gallo and guys kind of like him. Because even yeah. if you if you look at some of the stereotypical shift guys, think Rizzo, um, Chris Davis of the Orioles, uh, Mark Teixeira, the lefty pull swing is very much ground ball on the right side, but they can put it in the air various places in the outfield. Yeah. But what the Red Sox did to Gallo the other day was they took their left fielder straight up out of left field and played him in the short right field role that we've seen with the shifts from before. So that sucks for Joey Gallo. I don't think he'll be able to break it. Um, it's crazy too, because if he simply was able to make some kind of adjustment to just let the ball travel a little bit more, he can tap a ball over the third baseman's head and get an easy double like he every could, time. He could bunt double because there's not even a left fielder. <laughs> yeah. like, not even yeah. left field. And Joey Gallo is fast. He's an athletic guy. That's yeah, the- well, that's the frustrating thing about it is like it's all about his specific launch angle is so limiting. If he hits it in the specific sector where like he's hunting for the ball, it's going to go fucking very far. But if he's only swinging with that specific arc to the bat, he's not going to connect all the time. So if he was able to just like have a little bit more bat to ball in him, maybe we do see that with the new uh, like pitch clock change. Like that could potentially bring something out of him where like he's like, oh man, I really don't want to hit 150 this year. At least like... <laughs> I'll have to tap a few down the left field line. A guy's not throwing that hard. Just slap the ball down the line a little bit. Yeah, and I um, I don't see the need for an additional rule with this shift so far. I mean, it's only been a week of spring training games that we've seen. Um, but I kind of – I'm a fan of defensive – of smart defensive positioning. I don't think that players should have, like, papers and cards on the field. I think that should be something that's kind of studied. Same thing with, like, pitchers and, and catchers. You know, like, they – do their homework to understand a, a player's weaknesses and whatnot. I think it's the bare minimum for professional defenders to be able to know where they should shift with certain pitchers um, and use data. No, use data, but study data. Like that shouldn't be live. That shouldn't be handed to you. Have your data team provide that to players, have them study it, and then mm-hmm. you do the shifts accordingly. And I think it's a worthy risk. If you remove an outfielder mm-hmm. and put yep. them in short right field, um, the effect of that is if Joey Gallo hits a laser down the left field line into the left field corner, he could get an inside the park home run before someone touches the ball. So I think it's a worthy and- risk reward to take. Like, we're not going to see that shift on Anthony Rizzo because Rizzo goes in the air to left field constantly. Yeah. So you can't remove a left fielder for Rizzo. Hopefully we'll see more guys making a jump. I think Rizzo is going to thrive just because he is a guy that's capable of, we've seen him choke up a million times with two strikes on him and just tap a ball over the, you know, shortstop's head. Um, and, like, he knows that he can also pull the ball through the shift as well, so he's just going to get more and more extra base hits to right field as well. So it's it's nothing but benefits for the Yankees in particular. Yeah, I think what we're going to see from Rizzo is slightly lower slugging. 
um, because last year, a lot of the time, he was gunning for homers in right field. Like, once you put that short right field defender there, remove the third baseman, there's not a lot of room in Yankee Stadium right field. Like, I know people talk about the short porch. Yeah, it's easier to hit a home run. There was a bunch of home runs that would only be home runs at Yankee Stadium last year. And Rizzo probably had about five of them, six of them. <laughs> but there's not a lot of grass out there. So what I think yeah. we're going to see is a more rounded approach from Anthony Rizzo. Um, Maybe like a, a 250 to 270 hitter. Last year, he was about uh, just a shade under 230. But he, he had a ton of slug. Um, I say he might – he'll probably hit 30 home runs again if he stays healthy. Um, But it's not going to be – yeah. Uh, gunning for for fences last last year we had a surprising amount of games where Rizzo like one for five with a homer and maybe a yeah one. um and I, I mean think the, we'll see more rounded uh, approaches for him the crazy thing is he was like a what 280 career hitter up until like yep. when he got to the Yankees so he very clearly just changed his approach to hit for more power uh when he got to the Yankees um I think he had the highest slugging percentage of his career last year and he's been in the league for quite a minute now. So, and he, it's also crazy how he just ties his home run record every time. He's been at 32, how many times now? Five times throughout his career? Four times. That's, that's nice. um, which, yeah, I think that he's finally going to break through that. And a lot of it just does depend on his uh, back health. Like that really played a factor as well in um, his performance. And I knew that, I think that he knew that it would be just easiest for him to poke a ball out to right field with his back feeling the way that it was. Um, just it makes more sense for him to bail out towards the short porch. And I think that this year we could see maybe 15 more games played from him and like the average go up by 20 to 30 points. And then on top of that, his OBP go up to about 350, 360, whereas it was like down at 333 or something like that last season, which is low for him. Um, So I think he has higher standards for what he built for himself. He had a great year last year, but that does not mean that he can't build on that. Yeah, and Rizzo is going to get his walks. Like, his OBP was low last year because his batting average was low. So that's it's yep. about a difference of the 100 points for the walks. You know, one walk every 10 plate appearances. Um, He gets that average up to 260, 270. You're looking at a 370 on-base guy. With his slugging, last year was around – he was touching uh 600, I think, with a slugging or getting near it. You're looking at a mid-800s eight like mid OPS guy. Um, that's not too bad from from a, yeah, from a no. 30 year, 32 year old, 33 year old, 33, I think. And he's like a career 860, maybe or 870, something like that. Uh, um, he could eclipse 900 if everything goes right for him. But I think any Yankees fan would be more than happy with something between 830 to 880. Like that would yeah. be excellent. That would be great from your three hitter. Yeah. And or wherever he hits. And I think that takes us into specific Yankees talk. Um, there's been a lot of chatter about these lineups on Twitter over the first week of the season. We have new faces. Uh, we have Anthony Volpe, uh, Peraza, who we know and we've seen, Jason Dominguez on the team getting into lineups, Aaron Hicks playing left field, new signings, Willie Calhoun, Rafael Ortega, um, catchers going down, Higgy at the WBC, uh, Rortvet is is down, and we we wish the best for him. I know he's dealing with uh with some tough injuries now, so who knows if we'll even see him again as a Yankee. Uh, and yeah. then these young guys getting opportunities behind him are also getting hurt. Uh, Jake, just hit me with what are your early impressions of these lineups of of some of these games that you've seen from the Yankees? 
So I kind of had to stay off of uh, Yankees Twitter for a while again, just because the <laughs> doom and gloom, dude, it gets so crazy. The second they like we are one week, week in spring, spring training games yeah, and um, people just have this tendency. I understand you see the same starting lineup that you saw last year. So you immediately want to react to it and say, well, nothing's changed. This is the same team all over again. It's like the whole point of spring training is in order, in order to get everyone reps. So that way, like, Hey, you see what you've got. You see what potential roster composition you can work with. B, um, you're looking to up dudes' trade values. Like, that is huge. Like, you don't want Aaron Hicks to get zero reps whatsoever in the starting lineup because a lot of teams out there, maybe you're looking for a fourth outfielder, even a starting outfielder at this point. And the Yankees want to prove that he can do that in a starting lineup. Um, The fact of the matter is a lot of these lineups turn over um, the fifth inning and then everything changes. You've got guys swapping in, you know, middle of the game. So, like, what does it matter who's in the starting lineup at this point? All you want to see is, like, the results of, like, swings and, uh, like, at-bats and, like, how pitchers are looking with their velo, uh, pitch mix. Like, can they throw balls to strikes or strikes to balls? There's so many little caveats within the current rosters that they're throwing out right now, um, current lineups that they're throwing out, I should say. Um, so I'm not overreacting to anything. I, although I will say that there have been a few guys that have really caught my eye. I think we t- both talked about it. Rafael Ortega has looked fantastic with the bat, um, this entire spring so far, Willie Calhoun hits the hell out of the ball. My only concern with him is his body type might, you know, I don't know how sustainable that is in the outfield. He is quite thick. Um, he doesn't run that fast. So like I would see him getting more time at DH if he were to actually make the roster, but his bat has been playing. So like, I mean, you can't really hold that against him too much. So like, maybe he can prove me wrong in that sense. Jason Dominguez has come up and his at bats have been very impressive the way he's able to take hard pitches and that first home run that he hit. Um, we both Laser. were enamored by it. Yeah. And I think that also like brings us more confidence that he'll be ready sooner than later to take his spot in left field. Um, and I mean, Aaron Hicks has been getting reps out there, but he hasn't done much with them. He's gotten a few hits here and there, but he's not showing anything that these other guys have, you know, outperformed him at this point. Like he's not putting plastering himself in the starting position. He's just there simply right now because of status as a veteran player that's been on the Yankees for five years at this point, six years, whatever, how many it's been a lot of, (laughs) it's been a long ass time that Aaron Hicks has been on this team. So, of course, he's going to get more reps. We remember what happened with Luke Voigt, how he was playing his ass off. Um, what was it, last year, two years ago? And he was playing angry because Anthony Rizzo was there, and then he ended up getting traded the next day. Um, same thing with Gary Sanchez and Gio. All these guys have done that same thing before. So I am not overreacting in the slightest to actual lineups. But, I mean, Younger guys are showing up and showing out. Anthony Volpe had a weird little stretch where he had three straight double play ground balls. <laughs> um, but other than that, his bat has looked great. He's looking very aggressive at the plate. He's kind of hunting first pitch strikes the same way that DJ LeMayhew does. Um, he finally got that home run where he got out in front of a ball on the inner part of the plate and just, you know, peppered it over the left field fence against the Pirates. Um, that's against Mitch Keller, too, who's a legitimate starting pitcher in that MLB. It's pitcher, not just yep. like he's a, a double-A guy that's like on the fringe of making it to triple-A. This is a dude who like could potentially be the ace for the Pirates this year, which isn't saying that much, but he's got 97-99 in the fastball and a good slider. Um, so I think you're seeing everything you need to see out of the young guys at this point, and there is going to be serious competition. Same thing with IKF, though, is like IKF has played fine, but he's not 
putting himself way in front of these younger kids. Um, so people can say all they want about, oh, it's going to be the same thing I can have at shortstop. Like, you don't know that. You simply do not know at this point. So you just have to let things play out the way it is. We're one week into the games. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's important to note, like you said, about you know Volpe is getting a lot of top of the lineup run, which is awesome, which is really yeah. cool to see. And when you get top of the lineup, um, you know, we've gone through baseball seasons typically, and the MLB does the same thing is that when you have exhibition games, you throw the guys first, whether that's a reliever starter, like it doesn't matter who you want to see who need to get reps on that day. So that's your priority. That's your major league guys. So that's like guys like Mitch Keller. You, the the Pirates don't have a robust starting pitching rotation, uh, but he is a MLB level starting pitcher. So you have guys like that. Um, I think Lou Trevino started a game for, for us recently. You know, like yeah, no. Boone is just making sure he gets his reps. You don't want to like in early on in spring, you don't want to give an MLB reliever, uh, you know, two runners on in the eighth inning and at the end of a game. Oh, maybe we play the ninth. Maybe we don't. Um, yeah, that's what the top of the lineup is for. And people seeing Aaron Hicks get run in left field and in all these starting lineups. How is Aaron Hicks facing double A, triple A arms? towards the end of the game, subbing in games, going to help you evaluate what Aaron Hicks has. How is that going to help you dish his contract off if you're looking to trade him? Like you said, give him some run. Really, he's starting because that's the only information you can get out of him. You know, we've seen Dominguez in the starting lineup. We've seen him not in the starting lineup. Dominguez, you're looking for poise. You're looking for professionalism. You're looking for how he approaches guys who are above the level that he's seen and how he approaches guys at his level because he's still very young. You're looking for development. The Yankees are not looking, or at least they, their goal with Dominguez in the spring is not to have him debut in 2023. I think he might be able to. Based, like We've only seen him for a week, but their goal is not getting him up, seeing what he's like in 2023. On the other end, Volpe very much is at that stage. They're testing Volpe to see what do we have for Volpe in 2023. And, you know, is that him being starting shortstop on opening day? I highly doubt it. But is that him being around the infield? We've seen him at second. We've seen him a bunch at short, at third a little bit, uh, sometime around the trade deadline or even earlier. Yeah, and I think they have him in his plans. He's had very, very good at-bats that I've seen, a bunch of double plays, obviously, but the home runs... He had a game where he had two doubles, a bunch of singles. Um, Jake alluded to before when we were mentioning the pitch clock, how dynamic he is on the bases. He sold two bases within 30 seconds, like back-to-back. Um, yeah. He flies. He's an athlete. He he really flies. And that's something that you look at. Like You're not looking at outcome measures. You're not looking at stats with spring, but you're looking at how guys look and how they feel. Um Maybe some of the how their power looks. You know, are they getting bat to ball? Are they working counts? Are they seeing pitches? Is their timing down? Um, and that kind of determines how you evaluate these players. And not to mention with Volpe, his uh, that baseball IQ that we've heard about all offseason, all like the last year essentially, like that's what made him such a huge prospect, right? Is it's not even the, the tools that he has physically, it's all about his knowledge of the game. We see that translated to the field every time that he steps in the middle infield. He's played he's played shortstop, second base, all that. But at shortstop in particular, he's made so many like very dynamic, like savvy plays where there will be runners on base. It's very situational. 
and he doesn't panic at all. He makes the, he's always looking towards the, uh, the base that's in front of him rather than solely looking towards first base. He's looking to gun a guy out so that way you get the lead runner no matter what. And then you potentially get like someone hung up, you know, in the middle of the infield who's not supposed to be where they are just because he knows that he's outsmarting them in the middle of the play. Um, like you can't teach that to a bunch of these young guys and IKF still hasn't shown that. I'm not hating on IKF whatsoever. Like he just simply isn't a natural middle infielder in that sense, the way that Volpe is. Volpe can, he's like the point guard. He runs point for the infield and you're not getting that same benefit except for maybe Peraza is the one guy that could also like hold a candle to him. Yeah. We spoke about this early on in the off season, you know, on how, where the position of shortstop in the modern MLB has evolved. And it's really interesting to see how, Shortstop, it seems, since the dawn of baseball, has been where you put your most, your most, your most athletic and able guy, yeah. and it's proven. Analytics and eye tests have kind of kept with that trend throughout the years, and we see why because, you know, these shortstops now are at another level that we haven't seen. Like yeah. you know, a shortstop when you see one. You know, if you ever went to high school showcases and there was that one guy who stood out like he just controlled the infield and he probably division one second baseman you know the best infielder that you saw so these guys at an MLB yeah. level have a different feel athleticism and control of the game and the infield with their timing IKF gets the job done he boots a bunch of balls ultimately he's about a league average shortstop he's fine right but if you're looking at someone who is making those difference, um, making those game-changing, those difference-making plays. You're looking at guys with that dynamicism like Volpe, like Peraza, and they might make some mistakes here and there being young, um, but we've seen, like you said, that Volpe has really quick decision-making, often is looking to be aggressive, get that lead runner, um, and that might bite us, you know, with young players that, that how... That's how young players tend to go. Sometimes they make some bonehead decisions, and maybe that's where the Yankees are playing conservative in that IKF will you know, guarantee you the outs that you need to make and go for bats, but um, we can see that there's a difference in tier and the level and the the ceiling of shortstop play. Mm -hmm. And while, like, obviously Derek Jeter is one of the greatest shortstops of all time, I think Volpe is forever going to be compared to him just because of the hype that's around him. It's very similar to that of Jeter's. Um, but look at the type of war that he compiled while playing. He wasn't like, obviously there were better shortstops with the bat, you know, that were in the league than Jeter, um, throughout his tenure, but look at the type of war that he compiled throughout his career. And like, I see those similarities and those parallels with Volpe. Honestly, I could see him being an easy five to six war player in a season while still not batting necessarily over 300 or like barely scraping over 800 OPS just because, I think he will end up locking in some crazy defensive runs saved and just adding a positive benefit to the team where they will be winning with him on the field. Even if he does have a down night, it's the same way that the Knicks right now, if you want another basketball analogy, they brought in Jalen Brunson, who was an, a fantastic playmaker. This is the first true point guard they've had in two decades. And even if he's having a down night, he's still creating a positive impact. They have the plus minus system in basketball. He's always like a plus 20 plus 15 plus you know it's always above zero and i think that's the difference you'll see between him and an ikf and that's not a, like i said not a knock on ikf it's just some players simply have this intangible tool around them that you can't really teach it's just it's there 
And um, I think that we can see that through him and then also through Peraza. But it'll be interesting to see how they decide to balance that seesaw. And if they want to swap those guys around, if they're going to end up trading Peraza, I don't think Volpe is going anywhere at all. Um, but Peraza also is seen very valuable at this point, and he has actual major league experience last year. And he did he had a 305 average in however many games he played. Um, so it'll be really fun to see. I don't predict IKF playing shortstop for the Yankees by the middle of the season, at least. I think that he could be out of a starting job easily. But that's at minimum. I think that one of those guys will be starting there come you know, June, July. You hope. Um, you really hope, given what both Peraza and Volpe have shown you. Uh, yesterday I saw a clip of Joseph McFly, um, known Yankees Twitter legend. If you want some Yankee Stadium content throughout the year, I suggest giving him a follow. He gives the real fan experience. But he was on uh, WFAN with Carton and Roberts, I think, yesterday. And you know, he had mentioned talking about these young guys, you know, the Yankees' reluctance um, for the last little while to give them run to promote them. And he mentioned, you know, there's a human element to this. You know, if you're Anthony Volpe and you're Oswald Peraza looking at Isaiah Kiner-Falefa playing shortstop ahead of you, you know, you're trying to think, what can I do? What's the difference I can make to get to the next level? And seeing IKF mm-hmm. play shortstop at, at a rudimentary level, um, not a high on base guy, like bats of ball skills are like good, but they're not like, they're not great. He's hitting 260, you know, so they're looking at that saying, what can I possibly be doing better other than having a 1.2 OPS in the minor leagues, which is unreasonable to ask of a prospect to make this team. Um, And I think it's something that the Yankees should consider um, because they either have to trade these guys or promote them, I think, because if you're just going to hoard them in your system, it's not going to do well for their mental health, for their, um, for their development. You know, if, if they don't know, Obviously, you can always improve, um, but if, if they don't know what they can do to break camp, to break the MLB team, when both of them are major league players. Anthony Volpe is the number five ranked prospect in all of baseball. The top four all played the last month or two with their MLB affiliate teams. So mm-hmm. he's the best player in the world to not be playing in major league baseball. You know? <laughs> so... And also, Kat said it, it. Like, if you get stuck in AAA, you're going to probably die there. Like, that's where you will be for the rest of your career. Yeah. Um. The drop off from AA to AAA, like, there's not a significant change in talent. The uh, change from high A to AA is where you see the biggest drastic change in facing like major league ready pitchers, essentially. And Volpe at this point has played in AA plenty. AAA was new to him; he struggled there a little bit. But you don't want to see him there for a full season at this point. Um, just because at that point you're facing a bunch of guys that are fringe MLB guys that are only going to realistically make it up to the majors if someone gets injured. Yeah, you know. So I think there's a lot to keep in mind there, and I think the Yankees are well aware of that at this point. But I just I really ask from the Yankees fans to like just give it a second and not jump to conclusions that we're not going to see him this year at all, and that we're going to see IKF on this roster starting at shortstop because I do believe that he is the most tradable middle infielder out of the bunch at this point. And then maybe Glaber after that, just because they clearly aren't really interested in giving him an extension, even though he wants one, if we're being blunt about it. 
Yeah. I'm intrigued to see what happens once Glaber is playing with Team Venezuela starting this week. Um, we saw the lineup for today, and we're recording on Saturday morning, March 4th. Uh, and Oswaldo Cabrera is playing second base. But uh, Glaber has monopolized a lot of the starts at second over the past few games because um, they're trying to get Glaber ramped up and, and comfortable with some of the new rules before going to the WBC to prevent injury. Um, he'll probably be playing a bunch for Team Venezuela. I'm interested yeah. to see once we have that starting infielder gone, how they switch around the reps. Um, because I think that is the difference. At least um at least one of these guys has to go this year. I think mm-hmm. it's um well, it's just practically not possible to have all of them on the major league roster. So it's either you're you're stashing both Peraza and Volpe in the minor leagues. Or DJ Glaber Donaldson are going down for a significant time period, or Oswaldo yeah. Cabrera because I think he's your utility guy that I think he's gonna stay on the Yankees roster. Like he he proved that he can come off the bench a little bit, has that versatility. Um, so I think they're ready to keep him as like their backup option, not not burn his options up and down, which I yeah. mean they always do. So maybe they actually Oswaldo's going back and forth, but. Yeah, one of these guys are going to have to go, or two of them. Um, and mm-hmm. like you said, we're looking at Glaber, who's on his uh, on his last year of ARB, $10 million this year, IKF $6 million this year. Um, I think both of them are really valuable players. IKF, I think, is a championship-level bench piece. And I'll, I'll say it again. You know, As your backup shortstop, love him. As a second-base, third-base option with some solid glove, love him. His work ethic, his poise – like love all of those aspects about him just in, in the modern game. Like we've mentioned at nauseum, he is not the kind of shortstop that you want to have, especially when you have two top prospects that have proven they're at that level defensively. Uh, and then they can compare offensively, if not blow IKF out of the water with their ceiling, especially Volpe. Dude, their floors are better than IKF ceiling. If we're yeah, being blunt about honestly. it too. I mean, and also, I think we have to look at, is it a matter of, do you want to move prospect capital or do you want to move salary? Because the Yankees have not moved any salary this offseason. And I think we're still both under the belief that they will move something. Um, and the easiest way to do that, the most compelling cases would be for an IKF who's $6 million, like you said. That would move them, give them a little bit of wiggle room to stay away from that $293 million um, penalty tax. And then also... Glaber is at $10 million. So that would move significant money. Um, it, and I just don't see them moving Donaldson at this point. I think they do really anticipate a bounce back season. If we do see Donaldson moved, it will probably be middle of the season or somewhere within the first six to eight weeks. I think they're going to give him a solid six to eight weeks just to see what he can put together. If his offense looks the same way that it did in the postseason, I think he's as good as gone DFA, whatever it may be. Um, or if he does raise his trade value, then that's great because that means he'll probably get traded and they can get some value back for them at the end of the, uh, you know, towards June, July. Um, so I'm not that mad about that deal. We talked on the phone yesterday about there was a trade proposal out there. Someone, uh, put out one for Chris Bryant for Josh Donaldson. That made zero sense to me whatsoever. Just for all parties. Yeah, you're giving away one year of Donaldson at 25, 26 million, and you have no clue what you're getting with the bat, but defensively, you're probably getting a stud. And then you're giving that away for a dude who, yes, he's won an MVP for as well, but you have seven more years of him. 
at $26, $27 million, and he could not stay on the field at all to save his life last season. Um, how does that benefit anyone? And then also on top of that, he plays the infield. So like you've got a bunch of infield prospects. We haven't even talked about Trey Sweeney, who's another guy who's going to be coming through the system. I mean, if if you have Volpe and uh, Peraza on the roster at the same time, I do project Sweeney's probably the guy that ends up getting traded out of the prospects because you also have Roger Arias and then a few other guys. Shaparo has looked really good um, this uh, this spring training so far, and he can make some reps at uh, third base as well. So, like, you have guys that are going to fill in throughout the infield, and uh, Chris Bryant just does simply not make any sense in the long term. What I do like or, is or with, with Gavin Lux going down, um, I see a potential Dodgers trade for yeah. either IKF or even Glaber. Um, mm-hmm. I think IKF would fit well into what the Dodgers are looking to do. Um, he yeah. is a bit cheaper. And he gives that versatility, and I think the Dodgers are all about that versatility. Because right now you, you're looking at Glaber Torres and – sorry, not Glaber Torres. You're looking at Chris Taylor and Mookie Betts potentially taking second base reps. Um, yeah. And Chris Taylor is more than able, like we've seen him do it in the past. He had a really tough year last year. Um, you still have Muncie who can technically play second base, but I don't think you want Max Muncie uh, being a second baseman for you. Freddie has first base locked up. Uh, shortstop, we're looking at Miguel Rojas, who's a nice leader, very good defensively. He's always at the top of the NL Gold Glove ratings, um, but not exactly a plus bat. So do they want Miggy Rowe as their shortstop long-term? Um, he has second-base ability as well, so maybe you take take a shortstop out of someone else's system, but I think IKF uh, would be useful for them, or even Glaber. Uh, I think Glaber could go to the Dodgers and be really good. Um mm-hmm. I think Glaber going to the WBC maybe makes trade talks a bit easier for the Yankees to have and not have Glaber around if they're confident they can get a deal done or maybe to keep things hush-hush. But I don't know. I love Glaber, but but the reality is that someone's going to have to go. Um, I don't think – and I kind of back the Yankees for this. I don't think Donaldson has the market to go. You know, I think the Yankees yeah. are going to have to eat $15 million or 10, 10 to $15 million. And I think the Yankees are looking at, okay, well, we might as well, we're paying him anyway. So we might yeah. as well pay him to play for us the first at least three months because that's $10 million worth right there. Yeah, um, I mean, it's literally a year contract. That's the thing is like, obviously, I think we prefer to move Hicks at this point because he has another two and a half. Well, it's going to be a full three years starting at the beginning of the season, but that's multi-year. So it's obviously easier to eat a one-year con- three-year contract. Yeah, Hicks is coming up on his 10 and 5 rights. And basically what the 10 and 5 rights is for um, the players' union once you have 10 years of service time. Oh, I think it's five years for one team. That's what it is. It means he gets full no trade clause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 10 years of service five years, time. Five consecutive years with the same team are rewarded Actually, 10 and 5 rights. I think Hicks is going on his... Was he on the roster in 2016? He was, and then he got that extension in 2017, right? After 2017, he got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if I think 2016 wasn't a full year with the Yankees because we still had Ellsbury, and I think he was on the Twins earlier that year. Mm-hmm. Um, 2017, this would be his seventh full year if he started in 2017. Like that, Crazy. that 2017 team that is Judge, Sevy, Hicks. Yeah. Like and Higgy was Well, Higgy was he like full backup in, in 17? Was it? We had McCann, right? 
Uh, it wasn't 2017 no, wasn't McCann gone already. I think he was 2016 is when McCann was his last. Yeah, that's true. I that's... think. Yeah. Yeah. I guess Higgy was the backup catcher then. On talking Yanks, they said that Higgy was the longest tenured Yankee. So that's true. Yeah. At least he, in the organization. In... Yeah. Well, I think he was drafted in like '09. It's crazy. He's <laughs> yeah. Um, oh my god. So shout out to Higgy, Team USA catcher Kyle Higashioka. Well, that brings up the catching situation too. Yeah, that's next on our list. Because uh, all right, let's go down. I guess the pecking order of injuries. First, you had Ben Rortvet, who best wishes to him. Um, shoulder aneurysm sounds very scary. Not all. Um, it just it seems like the guy can't catch a break whatsoever however to stay on the field although he did look great when he was in the first five days of spring training there um but we obviously at this point just can't count on him to be back hopefully he is back by the middle of the season just so we can see what he has um i've heard great things about his glove but he's going to be a non-factor just a fact of the matter um then you had who was the next injury was it Oh, um, Austin Wells, which is, I think, the Austin biggest Wells. blow in terms of, like, his bat is MLB ready right now. So they were going to try to find a way to probably pencil him in for at least DH games. But, like, it also sounds like his glove has improved drastically. Um, this is a guy that was really, like, he they did a whole athletic article on him and how he is, like, fighting to be a, a starting catcher in the MLB. Like, that's what he wants to play. He does not want to be a DH. Um, so I think the Yankees were ready to give him a legitimate shot and – it would have been really fun to see him along with all the other prospects that are killing it right now, like tear it up collectively. Yeah. Um, I think he's another guy that's like beyond the point of being ready for like to just not sit in triple a at this point. Um, but he's got a cracked rib, so he'll be out for a good long bit. Um, that sucks Bro, for him. That sucks down. for us just cause we, yeah. And then Josh Bro went down, um, which, I think he has an elbow injury. It's just elbow soreness. So they're shutting down, him down for, I want to say, two to three weeks to start. Um, see how his arm reacts to the the rest. And then from there, hopefully we can get some some reps from him. But he was going to be the next guy up. And then Siegler comes up and he gets hit by a pitch yesterday. And I haven't heard anything negative from that point onwards. But, like, you got to hold your breath and hope that he's okay too. Because, like, but you've got Higgy going to the WBC. And then you've got Trevi, obviously, is going to hold it down as the starting catcher. But you need depth behind those guys, like no matter what. Um, so Siegler's fine. And then someone who has been tearing it up is Narvaez. Um, he's been hitting the hell out of the ball. He had that walk-off walk home run, and he just looks like he's ready to swing. Yep. But the thing is, he only played in high A last season. I'm pretty sure it was the highest that he made it to. So... He's not quite ready for the MLB yet. So it, we could see another last-minute trade the same way that they got Trevi last season. Right now, looking at our catching depth chart, Jose Trevino, number one, is healthy. Uh, Higgy, number two, is going to the WBC. He's out. Uh, ben Rortfetz, our number three, he's on the 40-man. Um, he's out. Our number four is Josh Bro has played at AAA, so he's probably technically our number four. He's out. Austin Wells, number five. He's out. Now we're down to Siegler, who Siegler's he's a nice number six to have. Um, yeah. But, you know, he's a 2018 first round pick. I, I'm looking at him on the Yankees roster. They have him down as mm-hmm. bat switch throws S throws switch. And then I clicked on him. <laughs> Does he throw with his left with his left hand? 
his left arm as well. That would be that would be news to me. I'm in a newsletter with all the lefty catchers that are out there, and I've yet to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, so I think I MLB think has a mistake. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time they've had a type go on their site. So <laughs> that is hilarious, though. If he like, I don't even know what the benefit would be, honestly, at that point, if to like learn how to catch as a lefty thrower as well. Um, yeah. if you're all right-handed. Yeah, the only reason I give it any merit is because it's on two different pages, but I think MLB, if they're smart, which they sometimes are, um, probably have an IT team that has like a database that keeps all of that. So you edit it one place and it shows everywhere. Um, yeah, there would have to be like an athletic article about that. Yeah, we'll look into it. Maybe we'll ask uh, we'll ask our special guest coming up. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, he might have an inside scoop. That's going to be awesome, yeah. too. So I think to close out the show, um, going through some Yankees Twitter, uh, not some outrageous takes, but I have some overreactions and I, I want you, or so potential overreaction questions. I want you to tell me if you think it's an overreaction, an underreaction, or just, just about right. So uh, a few of these are Maybe. hot takey, uh, clickbaity kind of, kind of prompts. Um, and the first one I have. Oh boy. All right. I I really like. Uh, potential overreaction. Anthony Volpe is a better baseball player than Glaber Torres right now. That's not an overreaction whatsoever. Damn, you're with. I it? think that he could eat. What was like Glaber? Don't get me wrong. Glaber is a great player. Like he puts things together really well. Like he ends up. He had a seven sixty one OPS or something like that last season. Um, I don't know what his war is right off the back of my head, but like he he plays well. He like he had a good season after really two bad poor seasons where he underperformed. That being said, Volpe being able to play elite shortstop will always put me put him in my eyes like as a better player overall than Glaber Torres, and just his awareness. Like I feel like he's never going to have those mental blems that we've seen Glaber have, where he just like you can see that everything kind of goes dark for a second and the lights shut off mentally and he gets like brain fog, whatever it is. And then he can't turn them back on because he makes a mistake. And then it just turns into this like cycle of like getting down on himself. I don't think we're going to see that out of Volpe. I think we're going to see more of the goldfish mindset where he's going to be ready to go at all times and be always thinking forward rather than like dwelling on something that happened in the last inning or two which I think will result in him uh, like ultimately having at this time a more productive showing a lot of the same way how like Jeremy Pena didn't have an amazing offensive season for the Astros necessarily. Like he showed up amazingly in the uh, playoffs and like killed it in the world series, obviously. He was but like, like I think more, that I same think, type yeah. of value. Yeah, exactly. But like, that's all I'm saying is like, he might've had like a 720 OPS, but the five war is sitting right there on a silver platter. I think you can get that same type of production out of Volpe, whereas Glaber's not going to give you that. He He's going to consistently be a top 10 second baseman in the league, but that's it. He's completely hamstrung to only that position, and he's not going to provide much more. It's more of a one-dimensional game than anything, whereas um, with Volpe, he's going to give you multifaceted like positives out of his, the way that he plays the game. 
Yeah, I generally agree. I don't think it's an underreaction. Like, I don't think Volpe is miles better than Glaber. I think it's hard to say for a multiple-time All-Star where Glaber's at right yeah. now. But I definitely don't think it's an overreaction. Like, I think it's pretty plausible to say. And you brought up the exact numbers I was going to bring up. Glaber had a 760 OPS last year. Um, and if Volpe is in that 720 range, that was exactly where I was thinking. I think Volpe adds more value. Volpe is more of a dynamic defender. Glaber's pretty solid at second base. He's not gold glove level. Um, yeah. Volpe can be a shortstop. Uh, Volpe is a long-term investment. He's getting paid less, which is which doesn't impact him being a better player. But in terms of Yankees' value, it helps. And he can steal 50 bases. With I was just saying rule, the base like, running is such a huge part of that that like Glaber does flies. not bring that element to the game at all. And Glaber can be aggressive and he can steal some bags. He's not fast and he's not smart. Like, well, yeah. okay, Glaber is smart, but he has some bonehead decision making sometimes that we've seen. And then mm-hmm. that um I think Glaber's actually a very smart baseball player, and just sometimes yeah. he has like out of body experiences, you know? Um yeah. Volpe is a difference maker on the bases. I like I think Volpe can realistically be like an eight nine hitter hitting two twenty, getting on base just above three hundred play shortstop and still be like a difference maker because he has top level power potential um can steal some bags like just having someone disruptive on the bases in front of dj in front of judge we have the perfect like on roster com like comparison for him right now who plays a different position that's harrison bader yep provides elite value defensively runs the bases like crazy could give you if he stays healthy for a full season 15 to 20 homers and then 10 triples even, which would be amazing to see. Um, I think that they have very similar tools, honestly, and they both have insane baseball IQs. Yeah. And I think like you've mentioned, Volpe has the poise and the presence that he seems that he can handle New York. Well, he's from the area, so he'll understand it, Um, which, you know, probably a bit overstated people understanding New York, but it's a different media circus. Like the Yankees are a different animal. Um, yeah. in terms of professional sports teams like it's really only comparable to like Manchester United and like Real Madrid mm-hmm. FC Barcelona in terms of like world sports and critique and eyeballs yeah so yeah all right that's our that's our first and we're in lockstep that it not an overreaction Anthony Volpe is perhaps and likely a better player than Gleyber Torres right now mm-hmm. moving on to number two Rafael Ortega is currently our best left field option yes that's not an under that's not an overreaction at all um that is just look at what the dude's done he had a great 2021 season at down year last year but i think that was due to freak injuries for the most part i want to say um if he can stay on the field and is healthy like he's shown already this um spring training that he can provide significant value both defensively and offensively he provides pop and bat-to-ball skills that Aaron Hicks simply doesn't provide for you anymore. And he's the younger version of Hicks if you kind of want to look at him that, that way. Um, and he's going to cost us absolutely nothing. So, like, why not keep this kid in there? Um, Which he's done at Wrigley. Exactly. So like that. And that's a difficult field to do that at. And um, I believe that Ian Happ went the uh, Talking Yanks podcast back in December, and they asked him about playing with Ortega and he said this is a guy that's a treat to watch and he's a treat to play with he's going to thrive in a stadium like Yankee Stadium as opposed to Wrigley which says a lot 
Even mm-hmm. if he's a bench of a flip piece, I think he could stumble into 20 homers um, if he gets full run on the major league roster. But we'll see if there's space because we have a lot of infielders. Um, and we have Oswaldo it Cabrera all, who's yeah. going to flip. Yeah, go mm-hmm. for it. Well, so yeah, like back with like Cabrera, it's just I don't trust him playing left field. Like that's the one position where I just legitimately like do not want to see him there. He like he's played a few don't games. Don't be the there. starter. Yeah. 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 Um, but I just I don't see any downsides to having a guy like Ortega on the roster at least to even be like the fourth outfielder if that's where they end up going. I just um I think he provides value that's going to be very underrated, also the same way that Mike Talkman came in you know, that first season and was able to hit with a little bit of pop and then provide a little bit of electricity in that first season with the Yankees. I could easily see that translating over well here. All right. And our last one, based on the lineups so far in the first week, IKF will play 100 games at shortstop for the Yankees this year. Nope, overrated. Um, That is... Or, sorry, that's not... I don't think he's going to even the team for a hundred games. <laughs> All um, right. There you go. Yeah. I just, I, I'm not buying that. He will get time over Peraza um, and then possibly Volpe. But I think that if like, when it comes down to the end of spring training, I think that Peraza is probably going to like create himself as the front runner. Um, I just, don't, I think that the Yankees trust him enough. They know that he can do it at the major league level and that's all they really needed to see. And as long as he can stay healthy, um, I think that that's his job to lose. And I do think that IKF is like a perfect match for some of these teams where they're like in middle infielders are going down quickly. I know there are a few injuries that have popped up already. There's going to be some significant chatter about IKF getting moved. Yeah, um, I think that's plausible. I'm going to say this is not an overreaction. Uh, because I think it's a weird situation where I could see Peraza being shipped. Um, I think Volpe has proven himself enough, but they want to give Volpe a lot of run in the minors. So I could see it being like IKF gets 80 games and then Volpe comes up and IKF like stumbles into another 20 games, 20 to 30 games the rest of the year while yeah. Volpe's with the team. Um, so I wouldn't go as far to say this is an overreaction, though it's close. I, I, I'm generally with you, but I don't know if the Yankees have been so conservative. I, I think it would... I would love, and I think it makes sense to have the plan that we've been saying, like let the kids play. Um, I think they're just a bit too conservative to have, um, you know, to really kind of give away on IKF being the shortstop. So I think 80 to 100 is very plausible. It's not like an overreaction. Yeah, it's just tough too because um, the kids have been sitting like in the weeds for a while now. And they essentially got IKF to be a stopgap for them. <laughs> and uh, I hope so. They, that's that's what we think. They well, that's like what they've been saying. Like Cashman has said in the last like two off seasons, essentially 2020, 2021, he said we have really good options waiting. They're only like a few years away, and like the years are now. Like <laughs> there's not much more that needs to be proven at the minor league level. And we missed out on what Trey Turner. If you're thinking about all the shortstops throughout the few years, we missed out on Correa like three times at this point. (laughs) (laughs) And he would have been a perfect Trey Turner. Trying to think, Machado. Machado technically could have been it. Yeah, Seager. Mm -hmm. Seager would have been a perfect match for Yankee Stadium as well. Like I think he's also going to be like a top five MVP guy this season. Um, 
But I think there's a reason for that. And I don't think IKF is the thing standing in the way, or he should be the guy standing in the way of these new fresh, the new fresh blood to essentially take place. Um, and so far, Praza and Volpe have been proving everything they need to prove. And uh, it, it all comes down to who gets traded, I think is the end of the, like how high are the Yankees aiming to get value out of that trade? If they trade Praza, they're obviously looking to get a, like another three starter, something like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they're trading for, uh, or a bat, um, you know, an IKF, outfield bat. outfield bat as well. Whereas like with an IK, yeah, I think with, if you are willing to trade Peraza, you could potentially pick up a guy like a Brian Reynolds, even though they have an excess of infielders now in Pittsburgh as well, just as an, ex- like, you know, that's an, a comparison that I can think of right off the bat, but I don't know. I think that, these kids are going to get an opportunity, but if you are looking to trade an IKF, you're probably looking at a relief pitcher. Um, they do need another lefty, so that's also on the table. Well, Tommy Canely is their lefty, basically. <laughs> and yeah, Tommy Wandy's another righty though, so it, it all cancels out. <laughs> all right. Uh that's everything on my overreactions list. So uh Anthony Volpe is a better baseball player than Gleyber Torres. We both said that is not an overreaction. Um, Jake said that's definitely an underreaction. Uh, Rafael Ortega is our best left field option. Not an overreaction. And IKF will play 100 games at shortstop this year. I said not an overreaction. Jake said overreaction. And I, and I think I'm hoping that Jake is right in the long term. We'll revisit this uh, in a few months and see where we get. Yeah, the first two months uh, is going to tell us a lot about how the outlook of the season is looking. Exactly. All right, that's everything I got on my list. Jake, you want to hit anything before we head out? Um, There's currently a game on right now. I think Sevy's making his second appearance, so I guess you're not going to be able to see it live because we're going to pre-record this shit. But um, yeah, try to watch as many spring training games as you can just to see what these kids provide to the table and see how guys are looking right now. Don't overreact. That's all I ask. Don't overreact, even though we sometimes do. Um, but we try to keep a level here on Pinstripe Pulse. Yeah. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, again, you know, share with your friends. We're going to have a lot more episodes coming out now that we have games to talk about. Uh, that changes the dynamic of our podcast, which we which we like a lot more. We like going to games, commenting on games. At Pinstripe Pulse Pod on Instagram, at Pinstripe underscore Pulse on Twitter. We're going to be a little more active going forward. Uh, we have some fun guests planned in the next few weeks, um, so stay uh, stay in tune with that. And share with your friends, like, subscribe, do all of it. Um, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Peace. Yeah.